Welcome to our community. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Don Butera. So let's jump in. We've been talking about uh, where do you stand? A couple of weeks ago, I talked about uh, if any man would come after me, it desires to be my disciple, uh, they would deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. And so we talked about that desire is not just the, the finishing point. That's just basically the starting point. And God wants us to walk through these different levels. And uh, kind of where do you stand? Are you willing to go all the way? Uh, and so this week, we're going to continue to discuss that. And this week, I ran into some very interesting things because there's a couple of English phrases that uh, I use. And I'm going to have to explain them because I found out that it's just not even in Indonesian. So. Uh, but let me tell you a story first. I, I want to tell you a story about when I was around, uh, say, between the ages of 15 and 21. When I was that age, um, I, I became friends with some guys that today I still know all their names. I can still picture them in my mind. I'm sure they look a little older now. Um, and, and, and we became good friends. Now, I didn't really know them. They came from a different place. You know, like they lived in a different town than I did. But Every year, uh, from, from, say, like June through September, we, we, we hung out together at the beach. We had no responsibilities. And so here we were, and uh, I met with them, and I became their friends, and we started doing a lot of things that I guess if you had told me I would be doing them, I would have said, no way, I'll never do those kind of things. But because you're in a crowd, you're in a group, you're in a, a group of people, and they all say, hey, let's go do it, you know, at first you might not be so up for doing it, but then you tend to get caught up in the crowd. You know, so like, for example, if you had told me that I would, uh, that I would start drinking at 12 noon, grain alcohol, and if you know what that is, that's pretty strong stuff, and you drink it until, you know, Seven at night. No? I would have said, no way, I don't do that. You had told me that, you know, you're going to break into cars when you're about 17, 18. I would have said, no way, I'm not stupid. But you're hanging out with these group of guys, and, you know, and they say, hey, let's go do this. And you're like, nah, I'm not going to do that. They said, it's okay, you don't have to do it. Just watch. You know, just watch out for us. Make sure nobody's coming. You do that about seven or eight times, and then it's your turn. Well, you know it. You get a screwdriver, and you're breaking into a car. Yeah. I would have never thought I would ever do those things, but I got caught up in the crowd. I remember my friend, uh, another friend of mine, one time, he uh, basically, this is kind of how it went down. Uh, first snowstorm, you know, at our, at, our, at our college, you know, so our dorm went and attacked another dorm, like a, our, our, you know, 50 people went to another group and we were throwing snowballs at their dorm. Of course, they started throwing snowballs back and then pretty soon we somehow joined together. We said, let's go to the frat house. So we went to the frat house and now there's a hundred, you know, against another hundred. We're throwing snowballs against that hundred. And then somehow we joined together and say, let's go to the police station. And we go to the police station and we're throwing snowballs at the police station and pretty soon there's guys taking the police car, turning it on its side and pulling it apart. You get caught up in a crowd. It's just, it's easy to go with the crowd. It really is quite easy to go with the crowd. And the more I kind of like look at like culture, 
the more I find culture and society, how we go along, how we just follow things before we ever even realize it, we're doing things that we never planned to do, we never thought we would do because, but everyone else is doing it, so we do it too. I want to talk about a guy, uh, his name is Simon. And Simon got in this situation, and, and I, I want to talk about how, what happened to him and how he got out of it. Okay, so let, let me read. I want to read some scriptures. It's out of Matthew 15. It says, the soldiers led Jesus away into a palace, in, into the palace that is the, uh, that place, and they called together a whole group of soldiers, company of soldiers, and they put, a, uh, they put a purple robe on Jesus and then twisted together the crown of thorns and set it on him, and they began to call out to him, hail to the king of Jews, and and again, uh, again and again, and they struck him on the head with a staff, and they spit on him, and falling uh, on their knees, they, they basically mocked him. Uh, and and when, when they, had, they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe, and they put his own clothes on him, and then they led him out to be crucified. Verse 16 says, And then a certain man from uh, uh, Cherine, uh, Simon, the, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on the way, from, in, in his, in, way in from his country, and they forced him to carry the cross. And they, they brought Jesus to the place called uh, Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And then they offered him mixed wine and myrrh, uh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, and dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see uh, what each other would get. It was the ninth. Uh, uh, it was nine in the morning, and they crucified him. And they wrote they, it, the written notice of the charge against him was read. Uh, Jesus, King of the Jews. So I want to tell you about this guy Simon. Now Simon, there's not a whole lot written about Simon, but it's quite amazing how much you can find out about someone, even in the Bible. And uh, and so we know that this guy Simon was from North Africa. And Simon was a devoted Jew. He was uh, someone who, uh, who just loved the Jewish culture. And Simon was leaving his northern uh, Africa, and he was coming to Jerusalem because he wanted to celebrate the Passover with all his brothers and sisters, uh, 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 Jewish brothers and sisters, and he wanted to celebrate the Passover with everyone. In a lot of ways, this was like the the, the Jewish Hajj, they, they, they wanted to come. And so it took, uh, uh, it took him probably two to three weeks to get there, and it wasn't cheap. And we know that he took, we also know that he took his son. So he's got his two sons, and I mean, think about it. I mean, if you're going away, like I know, uh, I know someone right now that uh, next week, next, next, uh, next uh, month, next uh, week from Monday or so, uh, is heading to Italy. I know that they have all their plans set. I'm sure they're excited. Uh, they're going away for the first time without their kids in a while. And so, like, you know, they've done all the planning. It's not cheap. It, they get all excited. You know, you get all excited about it, right? You're looking forward to it. I hope this doesn't happen to you, what happened to Simon. But anyways, um, so Simon is, like, getting ready, and he's all excited. He travels for two, uh, three weeks talking to his sons. It, it may be the first time that he actually uh, like was traveling with his sons alone. I remember, uh, actually, his, his wife probably did come, but we're not sure. Uh, but, um, you know, like I remember when my daughter was 14, my daughter Renee, my second daughter was 14, um, I decided that we were going to go to Africa together. 
Just me and her. Oh, it took me a lot of planning to do, and we wanted to go. We were supporting an orphanage down there, and we wanted to go down there and see what it was like, and I wanted my daughter to experience it. So, you know, I knew what I was going to walk into. Like, I had seen this before, but I was anticipating, you know, what my daughter would experience. I was actually excited for what my daughter uh, was going to experience. I'm sure that, uh, that Simon felt the same way about his two sons. He's probably looking at them. Let me tell you, when we get there, I mean, we're going to have about celebration. Thousands of people are going to be there. Just, just like a hodge, really. And I'm sure he was looking forward to experiencing God. So here's, so, but he doesn't know what's happening. He doesn't know the trial that's going on. He doesn't know what's happening with Jesus. And it says about Jesus what happened was once they decided to lead him to uh, be crucified, tradition tells us that what they normally did when they were crucifying someone they would, they would do all the whipping and all the stuff that they did with Jesus, although Jesus got a lot. And they, put the, they basically put the, the, the cross on him, and Jesus, or whoever it was, but it was Jesus at this time, would actually walk all around the city before leaving the city. So you get this picture, and what they wanted to do was they wanted uh, this person, whoever's going to be crucified, to walk all around the city, and through it, they would be, uh, the word is ridiculed, ma'af. They would be uh, shamed, good word. They would be shamed, and they would, they would, people would yell at them and spit at them and throw things at them, and the, the guards would whip them. And so Jesus was walking through the, the city, and it's a, good, uh, 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 it's a good guesstimate. It's a good way to guess, and it's probably what happened, was that when Jesus got to the gate to leave the city, he ran out of energy. Now, it's understandable he would run out of energy. He had been whipped and beaten, and, you know, he's gone through all kinds of stuff. And so at that point, it's probably right there when Simon had been coming into the city with all the crowds to uh, experience the Passover. And all of a sudden, all this noise and all these people and all this commotion, all, you know, and there is Jesus, and all of a sudden... Jesus is like right in front of him with the crowd. And here's Simon with his two sons. And the American phrase that we use, uh, we use it's a very, uh, it's just a simple phrase, but I've chalked to the Indonesians, it's a very difficult phrase to, to translate, is that Simon was singled out by the soldiers. So the first question is, is what do we do? Who are we? Where do we stand when we are singled out. Now, let me, I want to do a little thing to show you what singled out means. Now, for Indonesian culture to be singled out, uh, for the Eastern culture to be singled out is not something that we long to do. So let's do it. Everyone, stand up, please. This is what it means to be singled out. Okay? You, everyone look at him, look at him. Everyone look at him. Everyone look at him. See, look what he looks like. Sorry. Not, doesn't, not the best feeling in the world, is it? No, I'm sorry. I, the last time I did this, I kissed someone and they were, and they were the first time visitor. Are you, you're not a first time visitor, are you? <laughs> okay, everyone sit down. See, that's what it means to be singled out, to be like, kind of picked out of a crowd, and everyone's eyes are on you. I love you, man. 
And I could see as soon as I did it to him, like, you get nervous. You feel a little bit, like, uneasy. It's not the thing that you want, especially when you're inside a crowd. Oh. So here's Simon walking along, and all of a sudden he's in the middle of the thing, and the soldiers go, you! He's singled out. Now the question is, is what do you do? How do you feel? How do you react when, when you get singled out? Because this is the situation. And so how, Simon, I'm sure he wasn't feeling really good at this point. I'm sure that he didn't like this, that this was not like what he wanted to do. You see, as I told my story earlier about how easy it is to, to, to flow, it's hard. It's really hard to break out of a crowd. It's really hard to go against a crowd. And the crowd is doing one thing. For you to do something else is very difficult. I want to show you how simple it is. It's, a, like, a, it's like a 30 second. It's so quick. But basically, they do this experiment with this this doctor's office, and everybody is sitting in the doctor's office, and everyone in the, in the doctor's office is like an actor except for one. They're doing the experiment on one. And watch what happens. And that's because your brain knows that there's power in numbers. We set up a hidden camera experiment to see if this woman would stand up at the sound of this tone simply because everyone else is. You might be thinking you'd never go along with this. Or would you? After just three beeps, and without knowing why she's doing it, this woman is now conforming perfectly to the group. Now they did this about 15 times. And after the three, only three times, beep, she stands up. What's really interesting is it goes on and every person leaves the room because they get called to the doctors and she's the last one there and there's no one in the room and there's a beep, she stands up. And then someone else comes in and the beep goes off and she stands up. Now she's actually teaching the next person follow the same routine. It's amazing how strong crowds are, how strong. You know, even, even so, so it's, it's really hard when you have a crowd. It's really hard to break out of the crowd, to like break out of the gravity of the crowd. It's actually scientific, not just in crowds, but actually in physics. The larger the mass, right, the greater the gravitational pull. Amen? Right? Simple. The larger the mass, the greater the gravitational pull. And so that's why you see when people are trying to like, you know, go up into space, how much energy it takes to get out of the grip of the gravity and then finally break the atmosphere and get out. Now, once you break the atmosphere, it has no more pull on you. You get a completely different perspective on things. As a matter of fact, once you break out of the atmosphere of the earth, 
Guess what? You need to depend on something else to keep living. When you're in the atmosphere, you can breathe. You leave the atmosphere. Now you need something else to supply you with life. Catching the biblical ramifications, yeah? Very hard to break out of, of a crowd. Now, in this case, Simon was actually forced out, but I have a feeling that if he didn't want to do it, if he honestly didn't want to do it, he would just grab his kids, there were so many people around, and just run. I'm sure the soldiers would have just picked someone else. So, like, the question is, what happens when you're called out? You know, it's really funny because the Holy Spirit, I believe, is like just hovering over us in a lot of ways, just like with, um, with Isaiah, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and then the Holy Spirit says what? Who will go for me? Who will go for me? Isaiah says, here I am. Think he singles himself out. He, he's, he comes right. Lord, I might be wretched. I might be no good. But Lord God, I'm available. How do you do in the midst when you're in the crowd? Because here's the interesting thing is, Simon not only was singled out and was willing to come out and break out of the gravity of the mass, but then he embraced a, a very inconvenient path. He embraced a very inconvenient path. Like, I mean, think about it. Here he is, all set up. He's Sorry, I, I know the person that's going to Italy, and I know they have such a great plan set up, you know. They have everything mapped out, you know, right down to the, what day they're going to do what, you know. And, and how would they like it if in the middle of that routine, all of a sudden, things got changed? You know, like here we were in the middle of starting, all excited to be in the building, and, and the earth shook. You know, I never told you this. But you know that like before the building was ever even built, when we used to come up here and pray, I kept feeling the earth shaking. Weird. Anyways, I don't know what that means. But anyways, here, here's Simon, right? And all of a sudden, in the middle, here he is with his two kids getting ready to have a wonderful celebration, and he gets chosen, he gets singled out, and he's like, what the heck? I'm just here on vacation. I want to have a good time. I came for this, this, and this, and now I'm being singled out to do something very inconvenient. It, it, it breaks all my plans. All right, so I'm just going to get in trouble for a minute. I'm going to get in trouble for a minute. Michael, you know what? All the blue shirts, the guys with these blue shirts stand up. I know there's a couple more. Thank you, Lydia. And the rest are out probably outside working, right? These guys, I mean, they wear the shirt because they're singled out. They're willing to serve. Mike, how many times have you been called that you're not scheduled and they say, hey, we need some help. Would you be willing to help? How many times has that happened to you over the last, say, six months? <laughs> so basically, three out of four weeks he's called to help. Lauren, where are you? Are you there, Lauren? Everybody say hi to Lauren back there. Lauren, stand up for a minute. 
Lauren, when's the last time you were able to just sit in, uh, in, in a service and just enjoy the worship and, and, and listen to the message and then go home? Last year. Year ago. Year ago. How do you feel when you're inconvenienced, when all of a sudden you get a phone call from someone and they says, hey, Sunday morning, can you help? Well, no, I came to, I came to worship. I came to, I'll get in trouble if I go there. I came to worship. You know, I, I came here to sit down, to, to hear the word of God, to be fed. You all look pretty well fed to me. How do you do when you're, when you, not only here, but how do you do like when you're outside and, and you're going to work and all of a sudden there's someone hurting and they're right in front of you and you have the power in you to help and yet you're busy. You've got things to do. You've got places to go. The inconvenient path of helping them. How do you do? Or do you say to yourself, well, you know, Everyone else, why should I help? You hear the Holy Spirit call you inside your spirit. You should help them. You just kind of follow the crowd. You do what everyone else does. Simon, he, he took that inconvenient path. He said, you know what? I might be here on vacation. I might be here to do that. But you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say yes to this. And he stepped out and he began to walk with Jesus. Now, I find this interesting. This is probably another expression. I've used it before, but I guess not everyone understands this one. At least I know some Indonesians don't. Because not only did he take the inconvenient path or embrace that, but he actually did a walk of shame. See, here he is. Now he's pulled out of the crowd, right? And now he's carrying the cross. And guess what's happening? Guess what he's experiencing? He's getting whipped. He's getting spit on. He's getting mocked. And, and, and the word is ridicule. If you don't know what that word means, uh, he's like, you know, they're just throwing insults at him, you know? And he's experiencing the very thing that Jesus is experiencing. Hmm, that sounds like a good thing. If I said, do you want to experience what Jesus experiences? Most of you say yes. Then I'd hand you the cross and say, there you go. And I find it interesting that he's willing to take this walk of shame because I don't know about you, but th this has happened to me. Uh, I remember uh, uh, years ago, uh, I had a close friend and some really, I'll just say it this way, some, some really like bad things happened to him. It was just a really whole bad situation. And of course, I wanted to help. So I began to help. You know, at the end of the process, I became the enemy. Like I, I was getting yelled at. I was getting, you know, I mean, they were mad at me. They wouldn't even talk to me. And I'm thinking, I didn't do anything. I just tried to help. Michael, how many times as you served, how many times do people come to you and and complain about things. Donovan, are you there? Marino, one of you? Donovan, how many times have people uh, said something that they didn't like about the sound of this room, the music? How many, how many times have you heard complaints? 
Every time. Every time. I don't know why you're surprised when you decide that you want to step out in faith, when you want to start walking the way Jesus walked, and people don't like what you do or they complain about what you're doing. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised because now you know exactly how Jesus felt. Father, look at his response. Forgive them. They know not what they do. Woo! This is why I love Jesus so much. Because Jesus didn't do anything wrong. He took my problems on himself. I spit on him. I complain to him all the time. I'm loud and yell at him all the time. And yet he still says, Father, forgive him. For he doesn't know what he's saying. Oh, man, that's why I love Jesus so much. That's why I need to fall on his feet. No. The question is, will you, how will you react when you finally decide to start helping and then you see people complain or you see people ridicule you or, 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 or make fun of you or, or whatever? They do all these things to you. You know, I remember I had a friend. I mean, it happens to artists, I think, more than others. Artists really struggle because, like, you know, here they are when they when they when they paint something or they sculpt something or they make music and, 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 and for them, they put themselves in it, which is what we should do when we serve. When we step out, we should put ourselves in there. And then once someone complains and says, I don't like it, they feel insulted because it's part of them. Same way with anything we do when we begin to step out in faith and, and come out of the crowd and begin to walk. Trust me, if you begin to get out of the culture and start walking the way Jesus does, I guarantee you they will persecute you. I guarantee you they won't like what they're doing, what you're doing, because it goes against the evil one, prince of the air. And so don't be surprised, but respond like Jesus does. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Father, I'm sure Jesus said it. Lord, I'll take that punishment. Lord, save them. Lord, help them. Lord, bless them. Lord, do something wonderful in their hearts. Lord God, I will die for them. Woo! I'm telling you, that just blows my mind when I think of it like this. And that's what we should be doing. We should step out. Not be afraid to take the inconvenient path. Not be afraid to walk the walk of shame. Now, I want to share one more truth with you that happened to Simon that is just to me, to me the, well, oh, no, let me go with two more. I got two more. Sorry. Just know this. I just want to encourage you. When you step out like that, when you step out, out of the crowd, just know that although you feel alone, you're not alone. Who was the closest one to Jesus during that whole time? Simon. Who was right next to Jesus the whole walk? Simon. Just like, just like uh, uh, Peter. I always love Peter because Peter steps out of the boat. Everyone complains and says he lacked faith because he sank. Guess who ends up in the arms of Jesus? Peter. Know that if you step out, even though you might be getting, uh, uh, you know, uh, complaints and everything from those you're trying to help and those around you, know that you're not alone, even though you might feel alone. This is the truth I want to share in closing. I think this one, this one just kind of blows my mind. God 
pulls you out. God pulls you out to send you back in. Okay, what do I mean? He pulls you out to send you back in. Now, in the Bible, nine out of ten times, I, as a matter of fact, I can't even think of another time that it's done this way, but there might be, I don't want to, I don't want to be so certain because I'd have to check. Normally, when they give someone a title, they will say something like this. Don Butera, son of Tom Butera. No? Or Carol Carlson, my wife, daughter of Ron Carlson. That's usually how all the writings in the Bible is, except this time. It says, Simon, father of Alexander and Rufus. Edda, different, opposite. They reference his kids. They don't reference his dad. Now, I think I have a suspicion that I know why. And we find it in Romans chapter 16. In Romans chapter 16, we find that Simon, son of Alexander and Rufus, we find that Rufus is actually mentioned as being part of the Roman church. I find that quite interesting. So what we can understand from this is that the two sons are there when Simon gets singled out, when he takes the inconvenient path, when he, when he experiences the shame like Jesus, something happened to the kids. I think something happened to Simon. And I think when Simon went back to the celebration, he was different. He experienced something different. He experienced the love when he, when he was there. He experienced, he's probably going, how does Jesus, this man, not respond? Why does he not act like the thief that's near him? Why, why is he doing, why is he, something changed in Simon's heart. And then it went to his children. Then his children became believers. Now, I will say this to you. This is one of the principles I want to give to you here is that the next generation will never step out unless we do it. The next generation will never understand what it means to follow and not follow the crowd, but follow Jesus unless we do it. When we do it, they see it and they say, "Woo, that's different. That's something I want. Then we're able to pass down the truths to the next generation. And that next generation becomes part of the community who steps out and begins to show the love of God. You don't step out, next generation never will. Amen?